Even if you are an atheist, you've got to admit that inside of you is a heart that worships. Because God created your heart to do only one thing. God created your heart to worship. Your heart is a worship factory. It can't not worship. It's a worship factory and all day long, it works, it generates, it produces worship. This little worship factory, just poofs of worship come out all over the place. And if it doesn't choose to worship the true and the living God, it's going to find something else to worship. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. The 16th century French theologian, John Calvin, is credited with saying that it's man's nature to be a perpetual factory of idols. Last week in the first part of his message, Backward Gods, Pastor Trent Griffith explained how easily our hearts can be drawn away from worshiping the true and the living God. So let's listen now as Pastor Trent tells us how to put the emergency brake on when it comes to worshiping backward gods. Picking up in Joshua chapter 23, here's Pastor Trent. The written revelation of the will and the ways of God is the emergency break that will keep us from moving backward. He says, don't let your face get out of the book. The moment you stop paying attention to the book, the moment that you let the pastor on Sunday morning do all of the Bible study for you is the moment where you're going to move backwards on Monday. You got to keep your face in the book. Only be strong to keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. At that time, the Bible was five books. The first five books you have in your Bible is all they had at that point. And it says, turning aside from it, neither to the right nor to the left. God wants us headed down the straight and narrow, but it's possible for you to end up in the ditch on the right or the ditch on the left. Listen, the devil doesn't care which side you veer into as long as he stops you from moving onward. And Joshua says, you've got to reject those inferior promises. Look at verse 7. That you may not mix. Everybody underline the word mix in verse 7. That you may not mix these nations remaining among you or make mention of their, the names of their gods with little g's or swear by them, or serve them, or bow to them. Do you see the word mix there in uh, verse 7? It reminds me of, the, of a process that happens almost every day of the week in our house. I bought my wife a Christmas present um, this past Christmas. It was a ninja blender. I mean, you talk about horsepower. This thing will grind up anything. And Andrea knows that my favorite thing is not eating spinach or anything else that's healthy for you. But she knows if she can pack enough stuff in that blender and then throw in things that I like, like bananas and blueberries and strawberries and stuff, that somehow she can get me to drink what's in there. And it'll be a healthy thing for me. Well, do you know what counterfeit gods do? 
Counterfeit gods, backward gods, never demand your exclusive worship. All they want to do is get in the mix. They just want to be one of the gods that you worship. And if they can just peel off a percentage of your heart that belongs exclusively to God, they will be satisfied. Joshua says, do not even mix with them. The truth of the matter is, you've all come to worship. I mean, you've come to worship the true and the living God. We've done that. We're doing that right now. But some of us have spent our week mixing in a little worship of some backward gods. What is a god? Well, a god is any power that seeks these five things. God wants to define your identity. And whatever you choose to define your identity will reveal who your God really is. We open our Bibles when we read about what God says about us. And if you worship the true and the living God, you nod your head and say, yes, I'm exactly who God says I am. And the first thing God says that I am is a dirty, rotten sinner in need of a wonderful Savior. And if by repentance and faith I've embraced Christ as my Savior, I am now a forgiven, dirty, rotten sinner that has hope of heaven one day. I can live victorious over sin. I can believe that God is fighting for me, and I am who God says I am. Another thing we read when we open our Bibles, even on the first page, God tells us some things about who we are as human beings. God says He made them male and female. And so if you worship the God of the Bible, you open the Bible and you realize my gender is not something I get to select. It's something that is defined or assigned. Now, gender confusion is a real thing. It's a real thing for some people in this room. If the truth were known, there's some people in here that at times you don't quite understand it, you can't explain it, you want to obey God, you want to believe this God, you want to worship this God, and you read the Bible and it says you're male, but sometimes you don't feel male. But gender identity is really not about gender. Gender identity is about worship. Whoever you choose to worship gets to decide my identity. And so with all the conversations going on about gender identity and sexual orientation, if we worship and serve the true and the living God who wrote a book and has given us an understanding of our identity, what we have to do is this. No matter how I feel or what I think, if I worship the true and the living God, I understand and I accept the assignment or the identity that God has given to me. Unless... Your God is sex. Or unless your God is you. 
And because you think you get to set the rules, somehow you get to assign self-selected gender identity. Now, if you struggle with gender identity, we're here to love you and help you and accept you, but also point you to the fact that it is a heart of worship that really is the determining factor on what you believe about yourself. Our culture has opened the door to just say everybody gets to decide for themselves because we no longer accept the God of the Bible as the God who defines our identity. A God is a God that wants to govern your autonomy. You know what autonomy is? Autonomy is your freedom to choose whatever you want to do and to be. And as Americans and as a country of, uh, that, that values freedom, you, you are autonomous to a degree about what you get to do. But whoever your God is, is a God that actually will put boundaries on your personal freedom. If you worship and serve the true and the living God... He's given you some boundaries. There are Ten Commandments. There are teachings of Jesus. There are attitudes and virtues and values that we're to accept. But if you reject the God of the Bible, that doesn't mean that you are self-autonomous. That means you're just going to select another God that's going to give you boundaries. You say, I don't do that. Yes, you do. If your God is your career, then your boss is going to govern your autonomy. If your God is intellect and education, your professors are going to govern your autonomy because they're going to say, here's what you have to do to get the grade, and here's how many words have to be on the paper, and I'm going to mark it up, and you're going to change it. Someone's going to govern your autonomy because that's what a God does. Now, for some people, their God is personal freedom, personal um pleasure and self-discovery. And so do you know what they do? They're bound, their freedom is bound and freedom is governed by their appetites. And so if their God is a Krispy Kreme donut, their freedom to be skinny is going to be sacrificed. Do you get that? Because every God requires a sacrifice. He wants to govern your autonomy. And whatever God you select is going to want to receive your worship. Now, you say, worship, I don't worship any God. Listen, worship is nothing more than assigning worth to someone or something. When we come and we worship Jesus Christ, what we're saying is you are the highest and the greatest. You are, of the, you are worthy of my worship. Any other God wants you to tell him or her or it how much it's worth to you. Now, even if you are an atheist, you've got to admit that inside of you is a heart that worships. And the reason that's true is because God created your heart to do only one thing. God created your heart to worship. Your heart is a worship factory. It can't not worship. 
It's a worship factory, and all day long, it works, it generates, it produces worship. This little worship factory, just poofs of worship come out all over the place. And if it doesn't choose to worship the true and the living God, it's going to find something else to worship. But mark it down, inside of you is a heart that worships. It can go after all kinds of other things, but your heart is a worship factory If it chooses not to worship God, it will find another God to worship. And that little heart, it likes variety and it likes freedom to choose, but it is not free to choose not to worship. It will worship. A God is a God that wants to complete your happiness. And that's the promises that gods with little g's make. Think about money. Boy, if I could just get a little more money, I would be happy. If I could just have a bigger house or a nicer car. And so often those things become what we worship. Or maybe it's achievement or acclaim or career or position. For those of you that are young, probably you're thinking, if I could just get into that crowd, if I could just get this person to like me or notice me or date me, I would be happy. And you've turned that person into a God, or it could be beauty or fashion or brains. You're not pretty, but you're smart. And so you feed that worship through what your brain can do or all kinds of other different gods, but everything that promises personal happiness is a God. And then finally here, a God is any power that seeks to secure my future. So a retirement account or a vacation house. When your security and your purpose and your value is dependent upon anyone else, do you know what we call that? We call that codependency. When your happiness and your value is dependent upon another person, but you know what the Bible calls it? Idolatry. We think if we can just get that relationship secure, everything will be great. Now look at this list. Isn't this everything that Jesus promises us? He invites you to come and worship him. And he says, if you will come and worship me, what that means is I'll define your identity. I'm going to govern your autonomy. I'm going to receive your worship. I'm going to complete your happiness. I'm going to secure your future. But if you choose not to worship Jesus, you will go find some other God that promises to do all those things. The problem is you will be sadly disappointed they will simply not satisfy. Backward gods possess deceptive power. I want you to see it here in verse 12. For if you turn back, they're going backward. Joshua doesn't want them to go backward. But if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, underline the word marriages in verse 12. If you make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be four things. A snare, a trap, a whip for your sides, and thorns for your eyes. Ooh. Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Do you see the word marriages in verse 12? Does that surprise you? Isn't marriage a good thing? Now, guys, 
um, I just gave you a great opening right there, and you totally whiffed on it. Would you like another run at that? Okay. Let's try that again, all right? Isn't marriage a good thing? There you go, guys. Don't miss that next time, okay? That was like a whiff right there. I set you up, and you blew it. Marriage is a good thing. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. There you go, guys. You're getting with the program now. So why would Joshua warn these guys in Israel, be careful who you marry? You know what he knew? And do you know what every person in this room knows and what God knows? The greatest threat to you loving God is that you would love someone else stronger. Marriage is a good thing, but it must never become a God thing. How many of you are single? Raise your hand. All the singles? Singles, raise your hand. We can keep it in the air. I mean, people are going to look around right now. <laughs> All right. Do you know what God would say to you this morning? Be careful who you allow your heart to love. Have you ever seen these dating services, these online dating services like eHarmony? Have you seen those? I will not ask how many of you have an account, but <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It didn't exist when Andrea and I were around. Now, Andrea and I got married in like 1994, and um, I got to tell you, if we had filled out profiles on eHarmony, we never would have been matched together, okay? What do they, they promise to match you against 23 dimensions of compatibility. I got to tell you, Andrew and I know each other well enough now to know there would have only been one area of compatibility that we would have been matched in, but it, it's the most important area, right? Listen, if you are not spiritually compatible, if you are not worshiping and loving the same God at the same level, it doesn't matter if you are compatible in every other area, your hearts will be torn apart. And listen, it doesn't matter how many areas you're incompatible in, if you worship and love the same God, you're going to make it. It's the only thing that keeps Andrea married to me. She's like, dude, you, you don't. You don't even like spinach. I mean, how can I even stay married to a guy like you? But And there's, a, there's 22 other ways where we're just completely opposite. But it's our worship and love of the same God that keeps us. We're just kind of running as hard as we can after Jesus. We keep looking over there. You're still keeping pace, right? Yeah, okay, we're, we're going to go. We're just moving the same direction, right? We're going to end up at the same place. I wish, I, had, I wish you could sit in my office and listen to the heartbroken men and women who didn't get this right. And now they're dealing with a person who has no love for their God. And yet, they're in covenant together through marriage. But because they're not spiritually compatible, it's making everything else difficult. God knows that our hearts are love factories. We were created to love and to be loved. 
And if we are not careful about who we choose our hearts to love, it will, uh, it will allow our hearts to drift away from God. You know what he's saying in, in, in verse 12? He's giving us one example of a place where we worship. You know, there are houses of worship other than churches. If you worship food, your house of worship is a restaurant. If you worship beauty, fashion, and material things and technology, your place of worship is a mall. If you worship sports, your place of worship is a stadium. If you worship film and entertainment, your place of worship is a screen, whether it's 40 feet long or four inches long, it's a place of worship. And all day long we sit in these houses of worship, and sometimes we don't even know there's worship that is misdirected. And even within a love relationship, within a marriage, Dating, sex, and marriage can become places of worship that will pull your heart away from the true and the living God. And Joshua is looking at the 17-year-olds in Israel and say, don't do it! Marry girls in our youth group. That's what he's saying. Now, if you don't think this is happening, let me show you how deceptive this power is. Last year, I was driving along, and I was playing with the buttons on the radio, and um, this song came on, and I'm listening to it, and it, I'm intrigued by it. I'm leaning in. It's talking about going to church. I'm like, I like to go to church. Am I on a Christian radio station here? And pretty soon it's so, I'm, I'm like singing along, take me to church. This is all, wow. Maybe, maybe we get Micah to do this one, you know, and we could, we could worship. A, oh, so you, do you know this song? It's a guy named Hozier. Here's how the first verse goes. My lover's got humor. She's the giggle at a funeral, knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak, he's casting doubt on whether or not God actually has spoken. We believe he has. But he says, if the heavens ever did speak, she is the last true mouthpiece. Do you know what he's saying? She's the preacher. She's the evangelist. And I want to listen to her. And then he says this, every Sunday's getting more bleak, a fresh poison each week. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time that he has actually spent in church. Apparently, he has spent time in a church that was not preaching the gospel and not giving hope and not preaching a gospel that, that gives purpose and meaning in life and value and forgiveness of sin. And so because he didn't get it there, do you know what? He started looking for a different church, a different place to worship. It goes on. Here's what he heard at his church. We were born sick. Now, you're going to hear that here too. That's true. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. But God wants to cleanse you and transform you and give you power to live a life of meaning and purpose. And so he says, we were born sick. You heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes, no rules, no regulations, no commandments. She tells me worship in the bedroom. 
The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. Amen. Amen. You, now, now listen. Let me show you how deceptive this is. Some of you have sung this song on the way to this church without discernment to understand that there is a God of sex, dating, and relationships that wants to divert your heart from the true and the living God. And you're waiting for the place of a different kind of worship. He says, take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins. You can sharpen your knife. Offer me that deathless death. Good God with a little g. Let me give you my life. And he accurately diagnoses what every God wants. God wants your heart. God wants your sacrifice. God wants your life. But understand this, backward gods will take what you once possessed. Look down at verse 16. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and you serve other gods and bow down to them, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He's not angry because he demands something you can't give. He's angry because you won't come to him to get what you need. Our God is a jealous God. He created you so that you would exclusively give your love, your heart, and your worship to him. But when you start giving that which God wants, it creates anger in his heart. And it says... His anger will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. God has been so good to give you joy and peace and stability and value and worth. And when you start giving it to other gods, do you know what you do? You forfeit all of it. You forfeit all of the onward progress. You forfeit all of the good things that he wants you to have. How do you prevent that? Look back up at verse 8. It gives us the diagnosis. How do you prevent from moving backward? Here is the emergency break. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord is driven out before you great and strong nations. As you uh, And as for you, no man will be able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts a to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. It's all about the direction of your love. Today on Resonate, we heard how things we enjoy can easily turn our hearts to false worship. We can use things like food, beauty, material possessions, sports, entertainment, and even relationships to satisfy our deepest longings. 
Pastor Trent Griffith urged us that because our hearts tend to be idol-making factories, we need to be very careful to cling to the Lord and to love and worship Him only. Well, Harvest Bible Chapel is built on four pillars, bold preaching, courageous evangelism, fervent prayer, and passionate worship. We'd love for you to join us as we lift high the name of Jesus in worship each Sunday on two campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. You can find our service times and campus locations on our website, harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.